Romans chapter 13. I'm very thankful for Jennifer's prayers and the prayers of so many others I pray as I tread in places maybe angels fear to tread in bringing the idea of honor. This morning I want to talk about honor. That's really the sum total of my sermon, honor, and yet how we're going to break that out is that the government is supposed to receive it according to God's word, but honor, Jesus is worthy of it. Jesus is worthy of it. And you'll notice in the title there, there are three passages of Scripture. I want to read this one. I will reference the other two, and they'll be on the screen for you. But we're going to look at Romans 13, 1 to 8, Titus chapter 3, 1 to 8, and 1 Peter 2, 13 to 25. And I showed you that video first because probably more than ever this morning, as God gives me courage, I pray imperfectly as I am. To call us as professing Christians, those of you here that would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, for us to stop saying, well, I have memorized it, or I know it, or I can quote it, or I can win Awana Awards because of my answers, or I can get the stars for those of you that are at uh, different schools on my goal chart or whatever it might be, but that will start to do it. And I feel and I sense as a Christian and as an elder pastor That all too often of late, there's been a drift in the church that while many wonderful things are happening in our church and in Christianity, that there is a monumental drift towards knowing stuff but not doing it, and a hidden desire that is fueling us in the church, which is one of getting our way and being comfortable and looking in the wrong places for our Savior and our Messiah than in Jesus Christ and his word. And so Paul, writing to the Romans, at this point he has never met them yet. He wants to go see them. He's likely writing this book from Corinth. He will one day get to Rome in chains. After spending two years under arrest in Caesarea, he is taken physically to Rome. He has a very harrowing experience on his way there, where he is shipwrecked and all kinds of things And he's now under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman garrison, prison guard, sorry. And yet, here is what he writes to them preemptively as he comes to the end of his letter. And he says in Romans 13, 1, let every person, now folks notice it doesn't say most of you or some of you, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, because of that statement, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Who carries out, sorry, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he, the government official, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, again, because of that, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue, to whom revenue is owed, respect, to whom respect is owed, honor, to whom honor is owed. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I want to walk us through how this word honor is something that the Bible clearly teaches, doesn't suggest, it calls us to, it commands us, it commissions us, that we are to be honoring to our government but that Jesus is worthy of honor. A man that I have been immensely moved by some of his writings, a guy by the name of Mark Jones who lives in British Columbia, put it this way in the last couple of weeks. 
Political idolatry was a big reason God's people missed seeing the Messiah. Because Jesus came in weakness not to conquer politically, but spiritually. And folks, I want to make sure that we are not crossing over into this vein. That we are not making an idol out of politics And that in so doing, we actually miss the power of the word of God and the gospel and his church, which is the Messiah, who came in weakness. And if Jesus were to come today, he would come in, not to come and conquer politically, but spiritually. And in full disclosure, I have watched and I have read and I have listened for over a year now since I have been here from our own provincial election here in Newfoundland, our federal election in Canada, and of course, the elephant in the room, no pun intended, the recent U.S. election. And of course, I expect folks to have opinions. It is natural to disagree and to do with friendly banter back and forth together. But may I gently and firmly add, for some Christians, over the last year, I know more of your public hatred of Premier Ball, Prime Minister Trudeau, or Donald Trump than I do of your public love for Christ. And if I may say so, that is just the facts. And church, Calvary, you need to listen and really pay attention today. Christians, both in and outside of Canada, in and outside of the United States and over world history, have had to submit to and pray for and honor a lot worse than Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Justin Trudeau or whoever you can think of that you may or may not like or support. This passage I read to you in Romans chapter 13, where Paul talks about giving honor to whom honor is due, when he talks in such glowing terms as this person being appointed by God was none other than Caesar of Rome, who literally called himself God. And yet Paul says, honor to whom honor is due. For those in America and for those as well as us here in Canada, you can and we must honor those whom God allows to be in power, even if you have serious misgivings about his or her character. That is where the fifth commandment in Exodus 20 tests us. And the same is true for our Canadian Prime Minister or for any other person in power above us. And today I want to challenge myself Because I have been deeply challenged by this and I want to challenge us about what the Bible actually says. And so we want to move to, okay, I know it, I've memorized it, I've studied it in Greek, I know what it is in Bible studies or life groups to actually doing like the little kids game Simon says. If this is what God in his word says, we do it. And I do that by saying we need to know how the Bible tells us to talk about government how we are to act towards government, and what priority we should make of the government. But to do that, I want to give you a little story about a name, a man by the name of Reuven. Reuven Solomon was his name. He's been my tour guide to Israel four times. He's an older gentleman, grandfather. He was my tour guide over all through that beautiful land of Israel. And I had an incredible time there. My bucket list, if God allows me, is to take my entire family to Israel together. I learned there. I I learned so much and I experienced so many different cultures and nations and languages and food and even religions and philosophies. Reuven, I call him Reuven. His name is actually spelled Reuben. But I learned in Israel that the B has a V sound, so I call him Reuven. He was quite the guy. And listen, he was my tour guide and he worked for us and we paid him. But you need to know he was respectful and he was engaging and in fact he was quite lovely and I still stay in touch with Reuven to this day and we exchange Christmas greetings even though he's Jewish. He does so with a little tongue in cheek with me. Now Reuven was always the life of the party as our tour guide. He had an answer for everything, a story for everything. He was one of these guys who had grown up as school teacher and he had taken on this mantle of tour guide incredibly well and he was the life of the party and it didn't matter if you had 10 people or 40 and he did all of these things with us and we had an incredible time until, that is, we went up into the Golan Heights which we're from there. You can actually see the Canadian UN base and then beyond that into Syria and Damascus. We were all up there, and, and all of a sudden, Reuven disappeared. 
And we were up there at what we later would learn was a war memorial, but it actually looked like art gone bad. There was lots of concrete shaped almost as if it had been blown up. Right in the middle of this massive concrete was another concrete pyramid stretching up towards the sky. And in the front of it, a little simple metal cylinder. At the base of the pyramid, a small plaque, very non-assuming, with just a list of names and ranks of soldiers. Now, as I said to you, Reuben talked all the time. He was on our beck and call. He answered any questions. He was happy and joyful. But when we approached this very confusing place, something happened. Reuben disappeared. He grew quiet. He grew sober. He picked up a little rock as I noticed him from afar. He knelt down on his knees and he placed that little rock on this small metal cylinder. He took off his hat and he simply stood still. Of course, we all ended up by him in a very awkward silence. And then finally, someone was brave enough to ask him, what is this place and why are you acting like this? Of which he told us this was the war memorial of the Israeli Defense Force, where they were honoring soldiers that had died in countless battles, of which Reuben had lost family members and brothers in arms, and where three of his five children were now serving in the IDF. And he was very, very serious. And he said, I cannot pass anything like this without showing honor. On Friday, we celebrated Remembrance Day. If you attended downtown to the Cenotaph or you watched on television in Ottawa or countless other places, you saw people give honor, show honor, show respect. And it's not because everybody thought that every war was done right or run right or for the right reasons or all the, but there was an honor given. And why? Why do we honor people? We honor mothers on Mother's Day and fathers on Father's Day. We have all these ways in which we honor. But who deserves honor? And those are great questions. And I thought it would be timely to search the Bible and see what it says about honor and who deserves it in light of this political firestorm that has been Canada and the United States and indeed the world over the last 18 months. But first, to understand honor, you've got to define it. And the Webster's Dictionary gives us several meanings of the word as a noun. And you've all heard these expressions. One is a man or woman of honor. And that usually means honesty, fairness, or integrity in one's beliefs and actions. Then there's the noun, to be an honor to one's family. They honor their family. It's a source of credit or distinction. Then there's the expression, to be held in honor. And that is high respect as for worth, merit, or rank. Then there's a memorial in honor of the dead. Such respect is manifested, and we've seen that play out in front of us. And then finally, he has or she has earned his or her position of honor, high public esteem or fame and glory. Now, that's Webster's Dictionary in the English, but then the Bible itself defines honor. In the Hebrew, it is the word kaded. It has the basic meaning of having weight. It means to esteem highly as God says he does to Israel in Isaiah 43, 4. Or consider something as worthy of respect, reverence, or awe. It means to give glory. As so many of the Psalms say we are to give glory to God. In fact, it was mentioned in our liturgy. In the Greek of the New Testament, the word also means almost exactly the same, but includes showing respect for all people. We're going to look at it in 1 Peter 2, 17. Honor recognizing those with specific status or needs in 1 Timothy 5.3, such as leaders or widows. In fact, the Bible teaches that mothers and fathers are to be honored right within the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother. You'll see as you read through the Bible, along with moms and dads, we are to honor and give honor to the aged. We are to honor church leaders and then governments or our civil servants. But the Bible is ultimately filled with the greatest honor, the most full of honor that goes to God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity. But let me flip this on two sides of the coin. So number one, the honor owed to our civil servants. The honor owed to our civil servants. The Bible actually speaks, tells us of our response to our leaders of government and those who work for them in three different places in the New Testament. I've read one, Romans 13, 1 to 8. 
But I want you to also hear from Titus 3 and 1 Peter 2. In 1 Peter 2, Peter writing to a church and group of gathering of believers, he says these words, For the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake. In, in fact, the, the, the very crude vernacular of our modern society would be, For God's sake, for the Lord's sake, yield to the people who have authority in this world. Notice, the king who is the highest authority and the leaders who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. Here's the reason. It is God's desire that by doing good, you should stop foolish people from saying stupid things about you. I don't know how much more pointed it needs to get. He says, live as free people. But do not use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Like as servants of God, show respect for all people. Love the brothers and sisters of God's family. Respect God, honor the king. And this is in reference to Caesar, or if it is in Judaistic context, it is to Herod, the ruling king of his day, who was also a despot. Think about when Peter writes this. His cultural context was far worse, I might add, than anything anybody in this room has known, no matter what your age. So Calvary, it is impossible for a believer to be a good Christian and a bad citizen at the same time. That's an oxymoron, or it should be. As children of God, our responsibility to human government is threefold. Number one, our government deserves honor because of their position. We are to honor our government because of their position. Our elected officials in Canada, the United States, those in the greater UK and stuff like that, in what we would call democracies, are those appointed by, and and those appointed by elected officials are to be respected and honored, not only by by our society, but especially by those who name the name of Jesus Christ. We are to recognize and accept that the powers that are are ordained of God. Remember Romans 13.1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And if you want to see that in living color, go back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And read the dialogue between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. When Pontius Pilate asks Jesus where his authority comes from. And is he setting up a kingdom? And he looks at Pontius Pilate and says, listen, your kingdom is now because God has given it to you. My kingdom is from another place. Now what's been obvious to me over the last year is that I think as Christians we are struggling on how to live out the gospel when our political leaders don't hold our values or worse, want to put forth an agenda that runs against us as Christians. But may I give you a little phrase of hope Paul Tripp's words are especially relevant. It's such a comfort to know that God's grace doesn't quit even when we feel discouraged and want to give up. Amen? All right, not bad. Mary, wind them up for me, all right? I'm going I'm to give you a few more opportunities. So, if that is true, why do we seem to talk and act and treat the world and worse, those in the church, now listen, with such a sense of contempt, as if it's more important what political party or what leader, what president you voted for, and I see far more confrontation, far more social media intervention, far more calls to discussion and criticism about politics than I do about how we function as a church or how Christians are a witness for Christ. Thank you, sister. My friend, Scotty Smith, writes... We're to bear one another's burdens, not beat down on one another's political views. Love never never fails. Spite always spoils. Kindness wins. This is Ephesians 4, Galatians 5, Colossians 3. Romans 12, and on and on and on it goes. But what's more worrisome to me is that what drives, what seems to drive us in this is more about our comfort than about God's will. 
that we are more concerned about who's politically in charge because they will make our lives easier than really saying Matthew chapter 6, 6 to 9, the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what if God's will is for the Canadian church, the North American church, to finally suffer? Would we say, even so, thy will be done, Lord Jesus? Because our true rally and our true anthem is our God reigns. Plus, it absolutely scares me when I see in Christians veiled, intolerant, self-serving, comfort-seeking, political Messiah-type language where we seem to desire more than Christ and His church. And so our government is deserving of honor because of their position. Secondly, our government is deserving of honor because of their protection. Because of their protection. Paul writes that duly appointed human officials are to be regarded as God's servant. Remember in Romans, they bear the sword. That is, to impose punishment upon criminals. And that is under certain circumstances. But listen, read Acts chapter 4 and 5, and there will come a time. Folks, listen, according to the voice of the martyrs, 517 men and women will be imprisoned and or captured and or tortured and or die today because they are Christians. Today. More Christians have been martyred for the faith in the last 100 years than the first 1900 years of church history. Be thankful for what we have, but don't think we have a right to it. We are to honor our government because of their position. Paul says in Romans, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And then he goes on, he says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And he basically lays out here, as you see it on the screen, he says, then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he who does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And just because someone is in political power that you don't think should be, does not give us the right to act like we are now above the law, even in our language. Peter tells us that governors were sent by him for the punishment of evildoers in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. And then thirdly, government officials deserve honor because of their preservation. Their preservation. You'll notice in our passages in Romans 13, we are to pay our taxes to human government, whether we like them or not, whether we agree with them or not, whether they agree with us or not, even if our tax money seems to be used for things we don't approve of. Read Matthew 17, 24 through 24 down to the end, or Matthew chapter 22, verse 21. Our civic leaders need the finances to preserve our protection, thus to whom honor is due. As Christians, we should be leaders in our society of honesty and thankfulness and appreciation for the protection and preservation that our levels of government provide and for our policemen, firemen, and armed services. Do we pray for regularly our policemen in this city and the job they are called to do? Even though the RNC is very, very openly and very honestly pro the LGBT community. And listen, should we not support that if what that means is they want to protect everybody from physical harm or criminal activity? Yes, we should. We must. Titus chapter 3, verse 8 says, Remind the believers to yield to the authority of rulers and government leaders. Notice this, and to obey them. Why? To be ready to do good, to speak evil, no, to speak no evil about anyone. What would happen if God held us to that standard? That we are not to speak evil about anyone in politics. To live in peace and to be gentle and polite to all people. Now stop and look at that. What do you do with that? Are we simply going to say, hey Lord, I memorized it. I studied it in the Greek. I had a life group and we talked about it. Well, what about doing it? He goes on to say, in the past, we were also foolish. We did not obey. We were wrong and we were slaves to many things our bodies wanted and enjoyed. We spent our lives doing evil and being jealous. People hated us and we hated each other. Paul is simply describing the life of the everyday person. 
Then he tells us what happens when we are met and changed and empowered by Christ, his gospel, and dwelt by his spirit, given a whole new outlook on life. Because he goes on and says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior was shown, he saved us because of his mercy. It was not because of good deeds we did to be right with him. He saved us through the washing that made us new people through the Holy Spirit. How? God poured out richly upon us that Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Savior. And being made right with God by His grace, we could have the hope of receiving the life that never ends. Now look and read and listen to how Paul concludes. He says, this teaching is true. And I want you to be sure, I want you to be sure that people understand these things. Then those who believe in God will be careful to use their lives for doing good. These things are good and will help everyone. I've read that this morning because I want everyone here today to understand that true Christians, those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we honor and obey because of what Christ has done for us us and them, and what he asks of us to do. In other words, our honor is sat simply with our mouth. Something I'm going to come back to. So our government is worthy of honor because of their position. They're worthy of honor because of their protection. And they're worthy of honor because of their preservation. And it does not matter what you and I think of them or if they rule in our favor. This is simply the honor we are commanded to give our government. Secondly, though, and more importantly, what about the, the honor worthy of our Savior? What about the honor worthy of our Savior? My fear is, may I say, I found myself over the last two weeks wondering if all of the tweets and Facebook posts and blog posts and supper conversations and dinner rumbles I have seen, heard of, and been a part of about politics were to have been given that kind of mind space and time to a group of Christians praying for, singing God's praise, and witnessing for, and standing up for the glories of God. How much would this city have been changed because of that? Versus are ragging on about politics. John III Sobieski, the king of Poland in the late 17th century, is best remembered as the man who saved Central Europe from invading armies of Turks in 1683. With the Turks at the walls of Vienna, Sobieski led a charge that broke the siege. His rescue of Vienna is considered one of the most decisive battles in European history. In announcing his great victory, the king paraphrased a famous saying by Caesar who would say, I came and I saw and and I conquered. And he said, I came, I saw, God conquered. This king understood that God, Jesus, was worthy of all the honor, even of what appeared to be his accomplishment. And why? What made this king this way? Number one, Jesus is worthy because of his position. Why is Jesus worthy of honor? Because of his position. The Bible is filled with commands to honor God, starting all the way back in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. By the way, including government leaders we like. God is the creator and the redeemer, our savior. Philippians 2 says it best, let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Don't have a political mind. Have this mind, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him And given him the name, which is above every name. It is a name above Justin Trudeau. It is the name above Donald Trump. It is the name above Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. He gave him a name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Where are the Christians that are more consumed with this than who's politically in charge? 
Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the only one who is worthy of our worship and honor and the greatest of honor. Read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Revelation tells us, You are worthy to take the scroll, speaking of Jesus, and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. That's the political overhaul I'm looking for. It goes on to say in Revelation 5, Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. He is the hope of the nations. In fact, the Bible ends incredibly saying, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And by the way, although I am happy for the Republicans and for America, Donald Trump is not the King of kings. All three passages, Romans 13, Titus 3, 1 Peter 2, that talk of government and our response to them condition it on the sovereign control of a holy God worthy of all honor. Why? Because of who he is. So Calvary, we do not obey, worship, and listen to Jesus simply because he died on the cross. We do these things because he is God and worthy of all honor. Amen? But the fact that he did come, the fact that he did live for you and I and die for you and I and he rose from the dead for you and I because of our sinfulness, because we were hopeless and helpless and he came and he fixed all these things, is he not worthy of double honor? So as God is worthy of honor, so Jesus is worthy because of his protection. He is worthy of honor because of his position. He's worthy of honor because of his protection. Listen to me, church. Sin is what is wrong with the world not government leaders. And if sin is what is, in, what is wrong with the world, then we, leak, we need to be like G.K. Chesterton, who when England put out a call, what is wrong with the world, he wrote into the London Times and said, my apologies, I am. He owned his own role in this. Read Daniel chapter 12, when Daniel confesses, including himself in the sin of his nation. Sin, the fact that things are wrong and we know it. Where did all the chaos come from? In the beginning of human history, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden made a critical error. They sinned the sin of pride. They had a lack of trust and a desire to rule themselves. In other words, they wanted to set their own agenda and that had effects on every human being ever born. Everybody in this room was born a sinner. I have three children with my wife, Debbie, and I love them desperately. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I never had to teach them to do wrong. They just did it. The first word that all three of my children learned was no. And they were never taught. While unable to speak, they learned how to cry and demand their rights over anybody else's. I never had to teach them anything. Sin separates me from God. But Jesus came to die for my sin. And when I believed in him as my Lord and Savior, Romans 5 tells me what he did. In Romans 5 it says, Much more than having now been justified, how? By his blood, we, I shall be saved, you shall be saved from wrath through him. That's Christ. For if we were, if, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us not rejoice with who wins an election, but let us rejoice in the gospel. Listen to me. I boldly and say, I am a coward in most areas of my life. But one area of my life where I will stand before you and be counted is, I do not fear death. I am not afraid to die. You know why? Because in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God showed his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that means me. 
And he said in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul tells me in 2 Corinthians that absent from the body is present with the Lord. Now I will fully admit that I'm afraid of pain. I don't like pain. If God gave me my knickers, for my English friends that are here, I would say, Lord, could I go peacefully in the night, cuddled up to Deb? Sorry, Deb, I don't want her to have the shock of that, but that's, that's how I'd like to go. Or as, as uh, our good friend um, Chuck Swindoll said, if he also had his choice, he'd go with his pants around his ankles at the proctologist just before he walked in. That's how he said he's asked God to let him go. But I am not afraid to die. Because listen, what's more is this hope and this promise and this guarantee by the Trinity not only changed me for the future, it changes me now. And so this changes my attitude towards government. John Davies in his book, Sermons by Benjamin Krasnover, writes in a sermon entitled, The Temper of Jesus or Grace to the Chief of Sinners. Benjamin Grasover presented the risen Jesus as addressing his apostles and he expanded on the great commission of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And this is what he imagined Jesus saying to his disciples. Imagine this, he says, if you meet that poor wretch who thrust the spear into my side, tell him there is another way, a better way to come at my heart. If he will repent and look upon whom he has pierced and will mourn, I will cherish him in that very heart he has wounded. He shall find the blood he shed and ample atonement for the sin of shedding it. And tell him from me, he will put me to more pain and displeasure by refusing this offer of my blood than when he drew my blood forth. Where are the Christians who will talk like this to our world than be political commentators on the state of, forgive me, but the cataclysmically obvious that there's corruption in politics? Well, whoop-de-doo, you figured out the obvious. Do you and I live this type of life? God's word gives us one more command. We honor God because of his position. We honor God because of his protection. But Jesus is worthy of honor because of his preservation. Jesus preserves me to the end. Do you know what Job says? It's in Handel's Messiah. I know that my Redeemer lives and that I shall see God. The psalmist says, precious in the sight of in his sight is the death of his saints. David said in Psalm 73, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jesus is worthy of all honor because of who he is and what he's done and what he will do. And the Bible and the gospel teaches us and transforms us so that we honor our elected officials from our council members to our armed forces, our policemen and our firemen, our provincial and federal leaders, our prime minister, the reason we look at the United States, the reason we care about Europe and the United Kingdom and indeed around the world is because of the honor we give to Jesus. We honor Jesus because we love him. We are only able to be the citizens that we are because of what God has done in our lives, not because we got our political agenda in power. And so how do I bring all this into the station? Well, we began with a look at the definition of honor. But we need to understand that the Bible makes it very clear that it's not sufficient to just outwardly say nice things about people. Why? Because Jesus confronts those who honor him with their lips but not with their hearts. In Matthew 15, 8 and Mark 7, 6, Jesus says, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Paul told the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae not to, be, not to serve people with eye service as men pleasers. In other words, don't just act honorable when people are looking. Don't tear some politician apart and then solve your conscience by saying, oh, but I'm praying for him or her. That's hypocrisy. I will say it again, the mark of a man or a woman is not what he or she does when people are watching, but what he or she does when he knows or she knows no one is watching. That's the expression of your true character because God's watching. And so to sum up, what are we supposed to do with the government? We are number one to obey them. Romans chapter 13. 
And the only time we don't obey them, you will find it laid out for you in Acts chapter 4 and 5. We must obey God rather than men when it comes to telling them telling us not to speak about our Savior. You see, any government can pass any law. They can take our buildings from us. They can shut us down. They can take away our charity donations. They can take away our tax exemptions. They can take all these things away. But no human being will ever stop me from saying, Jesus is king. And by God's grace, I will go to jail. I will lose my belongings. I will give up everything because Jesus is king. And I will honor whatever government is in charge while I do it. Because that is godly. That is what God has called us to do. We are to then pray for them. Pray for them. I therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority. I prayed last night for the king of Syria that God would change the man's heart and stop him from killing innocent people. But I did not pray some sort of critical, judgmental Steve's the one on the throne of God's grace. Now this passage in 1 Timothy, along with Ephesians, Colossians, means that you can't say, I'm praying for them, but then be disingenuous. A.W. Tozer said this, we cannot pray in love and live in hate and still think we are worshiping God. So we are to obey them, we are to pray for them, we are to respect them. That's 1 Peter 2. And of course, lastly, we are to help them. We're to help our government. That's Titus 3.1. Folks, have you not listened to what Jeremiah told the people of Israel when they were being taken as exiles into Babylon? Their their city had been destroyed. The temple ransacked. The, the, The Ark of the Covenant had been stolen away. These people were being taken into another country. They were slaves. And Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Will the city of St. John's, regardless of who's in charge in the, in, the, in the mayor's office or who's in charge in the premier's office or who's in charge in the prime minister's office, whether or not they tell us that Christianity is outlawed, will we be known as a people that will love this city no matter what? Because here's my fear. In Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, 30, I, Ezekiel the prophet said, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall, and that's not Donald Trump, And stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Listen to this. But I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. Listen, I don't, this country and the United States does not need Prime Minister Trudeau or President-elect Donald Trump to stand in the gap for God. God has called you and I to do that as Christians. Church, listen to me. Governments don't change the world towards God and His kingdom. The church does. The church does. We need to read Acts and Ephesians and Revelation. Hannah, when she prays in 1 Samuel, says, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. David proclaims in Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take my refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. And this is when Saul was chasing him. David would later say in Psalm 20, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Again, my friend Paul Carter tweeted out this this week, Peter wrote this, 1 Peter chapter 2, while Nero was Caesar of Rome, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So church, Calvary, the Bible tells us to pray for, honor, obey, and show respect and dignity toward our government officials. And that means the way we talk about them. That means we talk about them properly and with dignity and with respect as those that are made in the image of God. 
And when we state our disagreement with them, we don't slander them. We don't use inflammatory language. We don't threaten. And I beg of you to read God's word and discover how David treated Saul, how the disciples spoke to and about the leadership of the land in their day, how Paul addressed Felix and Festus, and how he came before Caesar, and ultimately Jesus Christ, who stood before Pontius Pilate. Church, I'm not telling you not to be active citizens, but to be active citizens by all means to vote. And if God calls you, then run for public office. But please, for the Lord's sake, use your social media presence and your vocal protests and your, visual, your ability to influence needs to be in the vein of 1 Peter and not in the vein of winning over your government. Peter says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect Having a good conscience. Why? So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Oh, that someday there will be an historian that will write about the church of North America like Pliny the Younger did of the church of the first century when he wrote back to Titus and said, we have found them, we have round them up, they sing songs, we've arrested them, we have killed them and crucified them, but Caesar, no, they die well. Oh, that we would be like that. Our salvation rests in the power of God. Our message in mission rests in the power of God. Paul's directive to us is preach Christ, live for Christ, and display Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, now I just set you up. Because you've all listened to what I've said. But let me ask you one more thing. As we move from government to Christ, and I conclude, are you truly living out all I've shown you today? Friends, please forgive me for saying this, but I must. We are sometimes sometimes amazingly arrogant and condescending that our views of God and our view of the gospel and our view of church is right beyond all test. That our views of government and political parties is right. That our view of just about anything is right. Far too many folks enter into relationships or discussions assuming that their truth, their reality, their opinion, their experience is the absolute right one and we must influence those around us to it. But where is the humility? Where is the patience? Where is the willingness to study and to listen and even entertain that maybe I might not have it all together after all? Maybe I've missed something. Maybe I should go back and read my Bible more and pray more to be sure that my position isn't just a tradition. Oh, church, read Romans 13 to 16 over and over and over again. And I will tell you, as someone who's been to Russia twice and spoken to former prisoners who've been arrested and imprisoned for their faith, as I've traveled to Jamaica and talked and spent time with those with far less than us, as I've been to Israel and spent time with Christians who live in the tension of being the minority and disliked by all other groups. Let me tell us all that their appraisal of us is not at all like ours of them. In fact, I read this week, of a North Korean uh, refugee that got out and was asked how the North Korean church is praying. And he said, not for themselves, but for you. Here's how he remarked, you pray for us. We pray for you. You have so much. You put your faith in your money and your freedom. In North Korea, we have neither money nor freedom, but we have Christ and we have found he's sufficient. So you come to Jesus Christ and we are to come to him. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. We are to confess and trust in him. Romans 10, if you will believe in your heart and confess him with your mouth. 
We are to honor and respect and worship him. It's Revelation 5. We are to pray to him. Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven, we are to obey and serve him. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created for good works. Romans 12.1 and 2. Church, we are called to be witnesses, ambassadors, salt, and light. Tim Keller puts it this way, accepted in Christ, we now run the race for the joy that is set before us rather than for the fear that comes behind us. I will end the way I began with a definition. Here's an acronym of honor, the Canadian version. H, humility. Seek the mind of Christ. O, obedience. If we love him, we'll obey his teaching. It should be as simple as Simon says. N, nobility, the highest calling to honor Christ. O, outreach, seek the lost. U, understanding, beware of God's sovereignty. And R, reconciliation. Reach beyond your comfort zone. Calvary Baptist Church, let us be more about Christ and this book than we are about who's in political power. Because you'll have it today and it'll be gone tomorrow. But according to Hebrews 10, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father God, I cannot lie as I bow my head in prayer before this group of people and I've looked into their faces and their eyes. And Lord, I am not naive to know that some agree and some disagree. Lord, I admit to you that I'm a first-class coward. So I throw myself before your mercy and say, Spirit of the living God, and strengthen and empower me. Because I can't do this apart from you. Lord, I don't stand up here because I'm better. I don't stand up here because I have a right. I stand up here simply because you've chosen one of the most foolish and weak things of the world to preach your gospel. But I pray, Spirit of the living God, that your word would not return void, that men and women in this church, along with myself, would confess our sin of self-righteousness, of condescending talk, of this overwhelming attitude that politics somehow governs our lives, when in reality we sing and proclaimed all this morning that Jesus is supposed to. Father, far too many of us have been concerned about who God had voted into a country we don't even live in, than how many people died and went to hell in this city today. Oh, Father God, forgive us. Change us. Lord, as we think about expanding this building or planting other churches, Lord, forgive us if we are doing this with our own agenda and not truly with the kingdom of God in mind. Because, Lord, build as we might or plant as we might, the reality is that the culture can change. And all of these things be taken with us. And are we going to be more in love with you than we are with our own facilities, our own money? So Lord, help us to focus on what is important and what is eternal. Not in what makes us comfortable or what makes us feel good or what makes us feel like a decepting thing that we won. Because Lord, the only time we will win is when Jesus Christ comes back and says, lay your weapons down. Until then, may we fight the warfare, not with guns and words, but with gentleness and meekness and prayer, lived out in an action of self-sacrifice. And so, Lord, I pray for every man and woman here, including myself and my family. Even so, Lord Jesus, change us into your image. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.